Hey guys, on today's episode, we are going to be chatting about how to find your dream clients on social media. I know that we talked about in-person networking before and that scared the pants off some of you. So we're going to dive into social. This is so essential because we need to be able to meet clients where they are. And I don't know about you, but I'm on my phone a lot. Everybody is on their phones and that is how to get through to people, to market to them and to be of value to them. So we're going to chat in depth about the three social media channels that we use the most, and we'll also touch on a few more that could be great options for you. A lot of detail in this episode. Make sure that you hop on over to designersgettingcoffee.com to check out the show notes with all the links and resources. We'd love to hear what you think. Let's dive into episode 22, how to find your dream clients on social media. Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design business and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by the Interior Design Business Kickstart Kit. If you're ready to start your business or you just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Interior Design Business Kickstart Kit is six months of intensive one-on-one coaching with me, plus all the business documents you'll need to crush it behind the scenes and launch your business like a boss. Book a complimentary call with me to learn more at lesliemyrick.com slash coaching. And now this is episode 22, how to find your dream clients on social media. Good morning, Kate. Hi, Leslie. I love that we're both singing today. Why are we doing this? Because <laughs> it's Friday. Former theater nerds unite to do a podcast. Yay. <laughs> it is Hi. Friday. How you doing? Uh, I'm great. How was your week? It's been pretty good. Been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, working on the interior design business kickstart kit, working on my website and a fun new opt-in for our listeners if they want to hop over and check it out. But yeah, it's been good doing a lot of business development. How was your week? It was good. It went by really fast and I'm like, oh, it's Friday. I have a lot of work still to do. <laughs> so I, um, I'm not really good at, at Earlier this summer, I was like, I'm going to take off one Friday a month. Just one. Oh, that's cute. Good luck. That that was, yeah, that has not happened yet. So. <laughs> but that's okay because that means we get to be here recording together. I know. And it's, it's fun. super fun. And we've got a really fun topic today. We did a former episode on how to find dream clients with in-person networking. I think it was episode 15, which I know that made your skin crawl a lot of people because the thought of leaving your desk and actually having to go talk to people is challenging. But today, we're talking about social media strategies to grow your business, establish your brand, and get those rad clients in the door. Yeah, social media is an important topic. And I think for a lot of designers, it can feel... there. I think there are some people who are just really... It comes to them very naturally, and it's not a thing. Um, they have a lot of fun doing it. They have no problem fitting it into their schedule. Um, but for a lot of business owners who are wearing a lot of hats, maybe social media isn't something that comes super naturally to them. Um, depending on the day, I could fall in either of those camps. Um, also, I think that it feels like it changes so rapidly that it's hard to keep up with the changes and knowing like best practices and, and what are the you know ideal strategies and just staying ahead of that curve. I'm not super great at that, but I feel like I do it well enough to be able to talk about this. I think Leslie, you are super strong in this area, um, but I think today we're going to have a lot to say on this. And there are a couple of the there are a few particular social media channels that I think you and I don't use a ton of. So mm-hmm. um, we'll we'll heavily focus on the areas that we know more about. Um, but we think there are a lot of um, really good um, options out there if you want to get uh, more knowledge on those other social media channels that um, you could could go seek and find out. Yeah. And I think learning more about social media and social strategy is so important because a lot like interior design, social media looks easy and the people that do it well are experts <laughs> and they make it look easy. Just like we all make interior design look easy and people think they can do it themselves and 
sometimes uh, they can't always. So I think it's really smart to have a strategy to figure out what you're doing and make it intentional because a strong social media presence, a strong digital marketing aspect to your business does not happen by accident. And I don't know if you know this, Kate, I actually used to manage social media for a couple of brands. I used to work for a home and lighting retailer. And for a while I was in charge of their social media and the social media for two other brands that they had. And Nothing burns you out faster than when that fun stuff becomes your full-time motherforking job. And let's just say I am so <laughs> over it at this point, but I learned a lot and I know I the say, value of it. Yeah. Being on a big team, you know, in a, in, I was in the internet marketing department, even though most of my job was photo styling and I, in the art department, I also had a big digital marketing component to my work, but I just got so burnt out of it that... I have, I guess I've found ways to make it run as smoothly and automatedly, automatedly, is that a thing, as possible and not have it take over my life because it's really easy to get sucked down social media rabbit holes and feel really intimidated by it. So yeah. That's probably, yeah, I think that's probably a good summary of what we want to talk about today is trying to take the overwhelm out of social media. Um in simplifying it and making it efficient and then even giving you an giving you an out. So whether it means going and taking a course so that you feel more knowledgeable about it or straight up outsourcing it, which are also options. Um, but I think the point you said the word strategy a minute ago, um, I think the, the overarching, um, point today is that all social media, whether you're focusing heavily on one channel or all the channels, Um, requires a strategy, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So, you know, waking up every morning and just like flipping through your phone and picking a picture and posting it and putting some random dodo bird comment on it is not social media marketing. Um, It requires more thought. It requires a little bit of planning. But the idea is that if you can batch this a little bit, then that's what takes out the overwhelm and feels like it's not something that you have to do every day. Um, of course, if that's your jam and you like it, just I would say that make sure that the captions that follow your beautiful image is something that's going to connect with your audience um, and give something of value. And um, of course, it's not super salesy. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll get into all of that in a minute. But the main thing is it requires a strategy. It needs thought. It needs consideration for it to, to be effective. Yeah. And there's a lot of different channels out there. Don't feel like you have to be active and overwhelmed by all the social media channels. I think a good way to start is to pick two or three and do them well. Kate, what's really funny is I'm seeing you and I both have the same talking point in our notes in different places. So clearly we feel strongly about this, that you don't need to be on every channel. You do need to pick a couple and dive deep and make them good. I will say though, I claim my name on most of the important channels, even if I don't use them. Twitter, for example, I have an at Leslie Myrick handle and it basically just says visit my website at lesliemyrick.com. I don't want someone like some Yahoo claiming So my many name Leslie somewhere. Myricks out there. I know. Okay, I know. But I mean, that's more relevant <laughs> for somebody who doesn't have a unique name like mine. But if you have a business name you want to protect, the last thing you want is someone else taking a handle that you wanted to use or someone else taking the handle you wanted to use and doing weird crap on it. <laughs> So oh, yeah. I like to, point. I, I claim my that. name. I'm all over the internet. I've taken over. So Leslie, I, I think I know these answers, but uh, tell our listeners, what are your primary social media channels that you engage with regularly? My top ones, I think Instagram is at the top. Not only do I like it the most, I think I'm, I am most active there. Facebook on my business page, but also on my personal channel is a big part of my marketing strategy. Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, surprisingly, is probably the one that I put a lot of effort into as well. And we'll dive into LinkedIn and why it's really underused, but a great opportunity for designers. I am also on Pinterest, but I really use that as a tool for collaborating with clients on projects with secret boards. I've made my profile look good. I put things on there, but I have not found for me, it's been a super great lead generator, but it's useful. And then I have a house profile, but you know, a lot of designers are aware of how's maybe not being the bestest to be aligned with anymore. And I will just say designer friendly. Yeah, it's less designer friendly than it used to be. I still have a profile, but my profile just says go to my website. 
And YouTube's another one that I use just because video is a big part of my business. And one day I'm going to have a TV show. So I'm practicing now. But <laughs> those are kind of, so I, I will say I am on, you know, six-ish different social channels. But Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn are where I am actively producing content. I'm actively engaging more. And those are really where I focus. How about you, Kate? Um, pretty similar, um, but not quite that extensive. Definitely Instagram is top for me. Um, I use later. So everything that I post on Instagram pushes to Facebook. So by default, Facebook ends up being a thing for me. Um, and LinkedIn is, um, probably second. Yeah. Instagram. I love that you feel that way too, because that was sort of brought to my attention, like within the year, how how great it was for designers and why it was so advantageous. And I had been completely overlooking it. I had a profile, but I was not posting content. I was not engaging with people. And now I am. So good. That's awesome. You mentioned later. And if um, listeners don't know what that is, it's a social scheduling app. Another one that I use for my own business is called Meet Edgar. There's a bunch of them. Hootsuite does automating. There's a good number of options for um, pre-scheduling posts and if you're going to have a solid social strategy, you cannot be relying on posting things on the fly and using some sort of tool, one of those or a different one. I know there's a whole bunch. I'm not familiar with the others, but there are a lot of great options, but definitely consider looking into some sort of social media scheduling and planning tool. I know that everyone says, you know, Facebook will ding you for not scheduling natively in Facebook. And that might be true, but mama doesn't have time for that. So I'd rather have something go up and have it be slightly less effective than not posting anything because I couldn't be bothered to log in and do it. No. Yeah. So, um, as far as taking the overwhelm out and making your, um, process more streamlined, we believe that using a scheduling tool, like what we mentioned later, meet Edgar, so on, um, is super important. So you can sit down and do, you know, a handful of posts all in one sitting so that it's not something that overwhelms you on a daily basis. Um, some people even choose to sit down and really hammer out a month's worth of posts. Um, that feels like a lot of work for me to do at once. I would get very um, burned out pretty quickly. Um, but doing it on a once a week basis feels pretty manageable for me personally. Um, and so Leslie, you probably do something similar, but the way I treat it is, um, and this certainly isn't my idea. It's, uh, something that a lot of people do, but, um, I used to have this problem of sitting down and just being like, what the F am I supposed to be writing right now? What do I talk about? What do they like? What, what is going on? And so I have just a simple little schedule. And for me, it looks something like this. It will be Okay, on Mondays, I'm going to talk about something about my business. Um, Tuesdays um, might be, or I'll say Wednesdays is like my working Wednesdays. It's where I block off and I do nothing but client work. So that's working Wednesdays. So I might share a picture of materials that are laying out on my um, island and something that I've been working on that week to share that's exciting me. Uh, Everybody knows Throwback Thursday. So that might be a good day to post a past project and talk about... um, I would recommend carefully thinking about your captions because if I just posted a past picture and was like, hey, look at my work, look at me, look what I could do, come work with me, um, that's one thing. But if you can make your post a little bit more interesting, and, I, and I'm really a fan of long format posts, it's almost like a mini blog post, um, perhaps instead of just saying, hey, look at what I can do, you can talk about maybe a challenge that you had on that project or something that went wrong that you ended up having to troubleshoot um, that really shows your expertise and how you're a problem solver and how you help clients kind of through the process that can be scary and challenging and that you're their uh, guide through that process. So um, you can figure out what that looks like for you. That's just a little sample of what mine might look like. Um, and then really think about the content. Think about what words you're using to connect with them. And a lot of times I'll sit down and I'll think about what are my clients' pain points? Um, What are they struggling with? And we've talked about that a lot this season. So go back and listen to those episodes and really think about what your clients' pain points are. Use their words, reflect back to them. Um, Words that you're hearing come out of your client's mouth. Um, 
when it comes to pain points and use those posts as an opportunity to share tips, tricks, hints, ways that you've helped other people. And, um, that will make for far more engaging content, I believe, um, than anything that's super salesy or show offy, um, along the way. One important tip that I learned recently, I think it might've come from Amy Porterfield, who, as you guys probably know, is phenomenal with digital marketing is that every post should have a call to action. And now that doesn't have to be join my email list, go to my website, but it's really more things like double tap. If you agree, let me know what you think of the coffee table. I chose find some way to get people to like your post, to respond to your comment, ask thoughtful questions. That's going to build your profile. It's going to build your visibility and people are going to want to see your content and Instagram and other channels are going to show it to more people because they know that people want to be talking about what you are sharing. So find some way to have a call to action. Sometimes it could be go check out this blog post, but just ways to ask thoughtful questions, ask for, ask for the like, ask for the double tap, and that's going to help grow your visibility majorly when you have people engaging with your posts. I completely agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Anything that you can do to, well, I don't want to say anything, be thoughtful about it, but any, generally speaking, um, asking for some kind of an engagement um, is going to be beneficial. One of the best um, posts that I, performing posts that I ever put up was when I was personally struggling for a client, we were going to do facing sofas and I was really wanting to do um, a pair of sofas facing that didn't match, but were, you know, the same size, roughly um, similar features, but had different upholstery and they weren't exactly alike. But I was really concerned that the client wasn't going to like it. Um, I was on the fence about it. So I wanted to get feedback. Like, what do you guys think? Would you do matching or mismatch sofas and getting them to do a poll? And people loved it. It was fun and it was super helpful. And it turns out the answer wasn't what I thought. I I thought everybody was going to say they have to match, but uh, more and more people were open to non-matching pairs of sofas. So that can be a fun way to get them involved with uh, your decision making. Yeah, that behind the scenes stuff I have found is huge. Like the kind of stuff that we think maybe is a bit boring, like looking through samples or deciding on a sofa layout or sofa choices. People eat that crap up. You guys, they love it. I have started on my Insta stories doing like unboxings when I get samples in the mail and the feedback, the engagement, the comments I get from people, people want to see pretty things. They love the behind the scenes of what designers do. And I cannot believe how interested people are in, hey, here's two mood boards for a client. Which one do you like better? Or, hey, I got this new box of samples in from whatever vendor that I ordered. Let me show you some of these new tiles I have for future projects. And that response has been so huge. So don't be afraid to show the behind the scenes because a lot of, I get more engagement. A lot of people are more interested in that stuff than the finished, pretty, polished photos. Uh, you're so right. I'm actually very bad at that. <laughs> like, here's what usually happens for me. You know, we are all hands on deck right up to a presentation. And then we present Then we're emotionally like, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, a vulnerability hangover. As Thank Brene you, Brene Brown. Brown. Calls it. Yep. Yes. And um, it's like the client leaves, we open a bottle of wine. and We're just like, too tired or to take pictures or anything and share that. And of course we don't want to share it before the client sees it. Um, but I, I'm going to try to be better about just leaving the stuff there, taking pictures the next day and, and sharing them. But I like that. And, and that's something I, I'm admittedly not good at. You want to know the other thing that people really eat up, which shouldn't surprise you. Kids, pictures of ba your kids ba and your puppies, ba babies. babies. Yeah. Anything. Well, yeah, but even like, it doesn't even have to be your babies. It can be, I generally, whenever I do a photo shoot for a client. You I steal will, their babies? No. <laughs> I will, <laughs> we'll go in and we'll do our photo shoot, but then we'll invite the client and their family to come in at the very end and just take a handful, two or three um, family photos for them. And then it's a gift that we give them Aww, in return. that's such a cute idea. And yeah, it's being boutique, you guys. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> um, then, uh, 
with their permission, of course, and some are not open to this and that's perfectly fine. But if I have permission, I will share um, those photos as well. Um, but any photos with people in them can really humanize your feed yeah. more than just like pictures of hard materials or fabrics or rooms that are empty. Um, so think about that the next time you're doing a photo shoot. Ask your family if they would be willing. I mean, offer this as a gift to them anyway. You've are, you're already there. It'll take 10 more minutes of your client, of your photographer's time, and they, the families eat it up. They really love it. Um, and then just ask them if they'd be okay with you sharing that and be, be okay if they say no. Um, I've done a couple of them where um, in kids' rooms, where these particular boys um, loved superheroes. So they both had on superhero masks and capes. And she was like, you can share the ones with their masks on. And I was like, perfect. That <laughs> picture you. is one of my favorites on your website. It is so – like it, it belongs <laughs> in a magazine. It's so good. Those boys were really cute. So, yeah, um, you can be creative. I mean, it doesn't even have to show their face. It can be one of those, like, cropped from the neck down or whatever. You know the editorial style photos that I'm talking about. It sounds weird when I say crop their heads off. but <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, anyway. Um, so, yeah, people people and, and pets and babies um, are uh, big big time for social media. It gets a lot of engagement. And I know that we talked about sharing behind the scenes as well as finished pretty photos. And I know there's different opinions on this as well. Typically on my, well, Instagram feed for sure, I save the pretty photos that have a similar vibe for the feed. And I do the more casual behind the scenes stuff on stories. I think having an Instagram, especially a solid feed that feels visually cohesive, that feels on brand is important. But on Facebook, I'm a little less concerned. There's not the grid to worry about. So, right. you know, say, for example, I, don't know I have me. Edgar does this, but in later you can get a preview so you can see how your feed will look. And granted, I realize that's dynamic and it changes. But sometimes I'll just click on that preview real quick and I'll be like, oh, if I do this one next, then those two posts are going to be exactly this, yeah. look exactly the same. So I can kind of rearrange them a little bit. Yeah, me, Edgar's a little different and I like it for its automation, but you're right. It lacks that. Later is better for that from my experience. But like on Facebook, you know, say I have a before and after blog post. So there's going to be images of the ugly room and then the beautiful afters. On Instagram, I will post the after and maybe have an album people can swipe through, but I would never post the ugly before photo as the main photo. I don't want people going to my feed and seeing that. Facebook and LinkedIn are different. I will definitely throw a before photo up there to intrigue people so they click on the link to see the rest of it. So you really need to know what each platform is good at. Instagram is not good at letting you have ugly pictures on your feed. People are not going to like the before photos, but they're going to be into the afters and want to swipe through and see more. That's right. All right. Yeah. So we, we could talk just about general strategy forever, but we've got like six social channels to dive into. So, well, before, before we dive on, I, I see that we have a note about this one last thing. Um, and I think it's an important one to not overlook. Um, if you are like me, you can find yourself in a rabbit hole. Um, and what is supposed to take 15 minutes could take half of a day. And let's be honest, we know you don't have time for that. So, um, Use a timer. Um, Leslie, I like that you put that in there. Um, you know, plan it into your week on a regular basis. And once you start doing it regularly, then it should get faster and should get easier. Yeah. Um, if you still feel like you need help, there are courses out there. I took Beth Kirby's Influence to Income course, which uh, was really good for me. It's a focus on Instagram, but it not only talks about strategy, but also how to take better photos. So that's a good one. I don't know if she runs it all the time. There are lots of options out there. That was one that I liked. Um, and then at the end of the day, if this just still feels like too much, um, don't be afraid to look at getting um, help and helping outsource part of the process. Yeah. So Outsourcing um, is a great plan and it can sound expensive until you realize, you know, if you were billing two hours, you could have all your social media paid for for the month potentially. So yeah. I all think right. it's a great, great plan. Well, with that, let's dive into the specifics of some of, some of the specific um, social media channels that we use. Uh, some of them we're going to have more to talk about than others. And so why don't we dive into Instagram first, because that seems to be the most prominent one for both of us, Leslie. Agreed. Yeah, we've talked a lot about it already. It's definitely my favorite and Kate's favorite. It's the funnest. 
I really like it. I have gotten clients directly from Instagram. I also get followed by a lot of designers, but as someone who coaches designers, that makes sense. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily the absolute best way to reach potential clients, but it is a huge, important platform. And like I mentioned earlier, on my main feed, I tend to showcase finished and edited spaces or photos I've taken, but are edited in a way that feels cohesive and consistent. But in the Insta stories, in Instagram live, that's when I do behind the scenes. I show my kids dancing in my office after work or the samples that came in the mail that day or asking questions for feedback about a design I'm working on. And I just think I love Instagram. I think it's pretty, it's fun. It gives us the opportunity to showcase the pretty portfolio work and to show the more human side of what we do and, you know, kind of that relatability that people are looking for. Leslie, I want to ask you a question because you're really good at this. I tend to get camera shy even <laughs> um, even when it's not showing my face. So doing Instagram Live can feel very vulnerable for me. Um, or even like sharing a video of me that's recorded. Um, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't come to me naturally. What do you tell somebody that's like me that really struggles with putting themselves on video or sharing lives? <laughs> the the honest answer is that you're not going to like this because there's not like an easy way to do it. You just have to keep practicing. You need to be willing to show up, do a quick live and publish it, even if it sucks, even if you flubbed, even if something doesn't feel good. And I mean, guys, this is for me, gosh, like 20 years of working on putting myself out there. I had terrible stage fright growing up. Like I used to do musical theater, but I was always part of like the chorus or the choir. I was never seen and I was comfortable with that. And it took a lot of vulnerable work in my late teens and twenties to put myself out there, to talk on camera, to be on stage. And like the anxiety and the nerves I used to feel. I was going to say, I'm sweating just talking about yeah. this. So I just... <laughs> I want this to be encouraging to people to know that it's not like a thing you have or you don't have. It is. She's literally sweating. She's fanning herself with a notebook now. It has taken work. It has taken practice. And honest to goodness, the more you do it, the easier it gets. I don't even think twice about it now. I mean, if I really flub up, I'll start over if I'm doing like, you know, a quick Insta story or something. But it is not something that bothers me because I have shown up over and over and over and over to practice it. So if it's not coming easy to you, if it's not comfortable, do it anyway. There's that, there's lots of quotes on this topic, but basically feel the fear and do it anyway. The fear is not going to go away until you practice it. And I know it's tedious and it sucks and it's incredibly vulnerable, but let me tell you, nobody is paying as much attention to you as you are. And practice really does take the edge off and make it a whole lot easier to show up on camera for sure. All right. I'm going to take your advice for it. I want to give a shout out to a friend that we made when we were at the Vegas market. Um, you and I were um, this last January. Um, it's Morgan from Lot I knew you were going to say Morgan. She's she, the bomb on Insta stories. She is so good, you guys. Go follow her. Um, we will get a, a link to it in the show notes, and we will also instant message her and let her know <laughs> that we just said this about her. But she's really great. She's She is fearless when it comes to being on camera and sharing things in a super authentic way. You just want to be friends with her and – and you should. She, she's you should amazing. Be, she's great. Um, she shares her family. She shares behind the scenes. She just opened a beautiful shop. Um, but if you want some really good inspiration on just like what to share, how to share it, like she's a really great person to follow um, for that. And also she's just fun and super sweet. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. And you don't have to be posting you know, 10 minutes of Insta stories every single day, like just hop on once or twice a week, do, Hey guys, here's what I'm working on. Take a look at this fabric swatch or just do little things until you get comfortable. And I will tell you if the camera's on yourself, those Instagram filters take off some of the intimidation. When you have cat ears on, it's kind of like a, like it helps. It's sort of like a costume to help you get into a role. I personally am a fan of the new Instagram filter where you get heart-shaped sunglasses. That's a new favorite of mine. But have fun. Like, it's okay to be a little silly. It doesn't mean you should be completely off brand, but it's a way to practice 
being seen to practice being on camera and do it in a way that is going to help you connect with people. They don't just see the fancy schmancy finished, finished spaces and you seem like some untouchable human. Like You're just a person sharing about your life and your work and doing a kick-ass job while you do it. Yeah, Lizzie, you were the one that pointed out to me a while back that you were like, Kate, there's not a single picture of you on your own Instagram feed. And I was, I had never even thought about it. And I was like, okay, here's a picture of me. Here I am. Do I, it. I, I just figured my one. photos in the, my photos in the profile picture. You guys might've heard of the idea of your top nine, like always having your top nine photos. Cause that's what people see when they go to your profile. They see nine pictures, always having your top nine um, be really great looking. So that means you have to be really strategic about what you post. I have at least one photo of myself every nine photos. There's always a picture of me in that top nine because I want people to see not only my work, but the person behind the work. And that's what people connect with is the people behind the brands, not the brands. Yeah. And um, before we move on, let's talk about hashtags for a second. I Hashtag, did, okay. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, I forever just completely ignored hashtags and... Um, I now understand their importance. Um, I do. Um, I have had uh, clients, even one this week, who verified that they found me through my hashtags. So, really? Yeah. That's awesome. And so, so, I mean, this – we're not going to go in too deep on this because it could be its own episode with a social media professional. But, um, you know, the main ones that I use are things that are relevant to what the photo is about. So if it's a kitchen, it could say hashtag kitchen designer or whatever, but, um, also making sure that you've got geographical names in yes. there. So, you know, Waco, Austin, Dallas, those are all part of my, um, hashtag library. I don't rethink these every week. I have, I copy paste and then I take out what isn't really relevant for that particular photo. So again, just don't think that you have to rethink hashtags every week. Have yeah. a list that you pull from, um, a little library, hashtag library, so to speak. Things that you want to consider with hashtags too is to mix up the order occasionally because if Instagram starts seeing you're just doing the same things over and over, that's one of the things they ding you for. And also you mentioned um, location-based tags like Waco, Austin, Dallas, or for me, Atlanta, whatever. Those have bajillions of posts and you are not likely to be as seen or seen at all on there. So you do want to mix up broad hashtags that have a lot of posts and also find some that are maybe more specific Waco interior designer or that's what I guess that's Dallas kitchen design. Yeah. But yeah. no, but I think both are good because you're going to get people that are just searching for things about that town. You mean, you never know, but you don't want to get buried in teeny weeny hashtags where there's only a couple hundred and not many people are searching, but you also don't want to get lost in the massive hashtags where you're just one of millions of posts. Also, if you are, you know, we're talking all about branding and standing out this season on the podcast. If you have your USP, unique selling proposition, if you have a tagline, a slogan, make that a hashtag and tag all your pictures. I have every single photo I post tagged as hashtag bust out of boring. It's not a hashtag anyone else is using. It's one that is unique to me. And I'm hoping it grows over time. And if people do click on it, they're like, holy crap, this is great. This this girl has a lot going on. So think about having, and I, I hashtag everything with my name too. I don't know if that's super valuable over time, but I figure it can't hurt. So we're trying it out. Um, two things. If you just heard a siren in the background, that's the weekly Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, tornado test siren. So... <laughs> Just saying that. Kate is fine. There's no tornado right now. I'm not getting arrested. Um, Also, (laughs) if you, um, you, she mentioned the word unique selling proposition. If this is a new phrase to you, go back and listen to episode 14 where we talk all about um, your USP and what that means. So you got it. Leslie. Um, Why don't we dive into a little bit about Facebook? Yeah, let's do it. So Facebook, I sort of treat as a necessary evil. I'm kind of over it, but at the same time, Personally, I don't live anywhere near my family and it's a really good connection tool. And professionally, guys, I know like the young people are leaving Facebook, but let's be real. Our clients and even us probably are not the young people as much anymore. So I have chosen to stay on Facebook, both personally and professionally. And I think it really is important whether or not you choose to use your personal page for some business networking or keep it fully separate. I think it's really great to have a Facebook business page. Online reviews mean a lot when it comes to SEO, when it comes to brand awareness and social proof. 
And I think that's really valuable to not just have your personal page be your only Facebook availability, but to have a business page, to post business information, to ask clients for reviews and build up some street cred on the internet that way. Because you have both as well, right, Kate? I do. And I think this is a hot topic for a lot of people. Um, For me personally, I keep my personal Facebook pretty private and I only friend people that I actually know. And if they are uh, somebody that likes my work or is interested, there's a little thing on the side of my personal profile that says, this is my personal Facebook for friends and family. If you want to follow me, head over here. And then there's a link to my business profile. Um, I do share a lot of pictures of kids. I share political opinions on (laughs) um, or social issues that matter to me on my personal profile. And that's not necessarily the world's business. Um, So for me, I keep my personal Facebook pretty edited as far as friends are concerned. Um, And I share more um, business related things on my personal page. That is not to say that I don't share my work and what I do on my private page. Yes. I'm just very care I'm just careful about who I who I friend for that reason. Um so that is completely up to you how you want to treat that. There are some people who treat their private Facebook as a marketing tool and that's where they're comfortable. I've even heard people having two private profiles. Um one that Ooh. is more more public and one that is strictly private for friends and family. Um the choice is yours. That sounds like a lot of work, but um, I'm like, why would you just not have a business um, page? But yeah, yeah, um, so just something to consider and what you feel comfortable and what aligns with your your values. Yeah. So, and in terms of posting content and stuff, I mean, we've talked about the social media schedulers; those are great ways to do it. And I want to chat for a minute about Facebook Live because that is something that I have implemented. I tried to do it on the fly and I would just like show up and talk about something. And those are not bad to do. I think those are great to do as well. But most of you probably know I have a weekly Facebook live show every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern called Bust Out of Boring. And I do have a plan for it. I have topics planned out. It's not, you know, I'm not completely winging it. It's definitely part of my online content strategy. And my goal with that, A, is to be consistent every week so people know what to expect. They know they're going to get new content from me with really valuable information. And I make sure that I engage with everybody that's commented on there afterwards. I do it on my business page and I share it to my personal. I then upload that video to YouTube to get new content up there. And Facebook loves Wait a second. So you can take a Facebook live and upload it to YouTube? Yeah. You can download your own Facebook Hmm. videos. I don't think you can download other people's and there's workarounds. But yeah, you can download your own Facebook videos. Facebook loves video and it loves video that's native to its own platform. So think, consider that, you know, I spend what they're, they're usually between four and 10 minutes long. So it's not taking up a huge chunk of my week. I think that's smart. Yeah. And the fact that it's, it's kind of become like the blog part two, as in like people know to expect a new blog post from me every week. They also know that every Monday I'm going to have new great content. And it's definitely the idea. We've talked about Gary V's book before, Jab, 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 Right Hook. The idea of giving away your best stuff for free, giving value, giving value, giving value, and then occasionally asking for a sale. These are not promotional videos. I'm not asking people to book services. I'm giving away great, valuable information to help empower people and get people excited. And the right people who are paying attention do eventually convert to clients. So consider live video. It's also a great way to practice. And if you screw up, okay, fine, delete it later. No big deal. Like don't stress over it. But it's a it's a valuable tool for being seen literally because Facebook is going to make more of an effort to show it to people. And I will say I started doing them on my personal page. It was only after I had sort of a regular crowd I moved it to my business page because I have a lot more personal friends on Facebook than I do business followers. You can choose to do it either way. I have a question. How do you get your Facebook videos to be, um, like you want people that are local to your area, assuming that your target market is in-person, full-service interior design. How do you use that? How do you optimize who sees that to your local area? You is- can't when it's live, as far as I know, it's just people on that are following your page, it'll potentially get shown to. I know there's a lot that can be done with retargeting. 
So you can take that video, you can do a paid Facebook retargeting ad to target people in a certain area. That's definitely deeper into digital marketing than I know about. And I've actually hired someone locally here in the Atlanta area to help me with some of that kind of stuff. But yeah, know that these become valuable tools. And, you know, if you're scrolling through Facebook and Instagram, I think nowadays we're all more, we're all a lot more likely to stop our scroll on something that looks kind of like natural and authentic, not like a super heavily produced video or salesy looking thing. So there's a lot of value in creating good content and finding ways to then share to or pay to share and promote it as well. So do the lives, get some under your belt. It takes away the scary factor when you just keep showing up and doing them every week. It gets a lot easier. All right. Well, you make it look very easy. <laughs> it just, it's baby steps, guys. Little, little tiny steps compound over time. It's not cool. overnight. You're going to be the master of Facebook lives, but it gets a hell of a lot less scary when you've done hundreds of them. Very cool. Um, let, can we dive into LinkedIn now? Yes. It's one that I, it's like the secret sauce for designers and it's underutilized and I'm excited about it and the potential that it has. I, I do think because Instagram and Facebook have way more of that um, visual appeal that designers love that um, for that reason, LinkedIn tends to get overlooked by designers a lot of the time. But um Thinking about who your ideal client is, um, your ideal client is a lot of times going to be a, a very professional, personal, excuse me, I can't talk this morning, very busy professional um, who chances are are on LinkedIn. Um, and so for me, I make a habit of going in and just connecting with them on LinkedIn um, so that we have that visual connection that others can see um, and can become a conversation piece for perhaps somebody that's looking for an interior designer and they see like, Oh, I see that you happen to know Kate Bendewald, you know, how was your experience with that person? And, um, hopefully that can become a referral. So, um, yeah, I agree that LinkedIn, um, tends to be overlooked, but you might want to reconsider that if it's not something that you're active in. So, um, besides connecting with your clients, uh, your actual clients or actual professional people that you know in your area, um, what are some other ways that you engage with LinkedIn, Leslie? Well, I used to think of LinkedIn just like as an online resume or an online extension to my website. Like I had my profile built out. I had links to my website. It had all, you know, here's all the things I've done. And that's great. And people need to see that. But LinkedIn is becoming more and more a social channel where the social feed, people are sharing lots of great content related to, you know, related to all the things that our ideal clients are really interested in. And so I make sure that I am producing content that goes, you know, I'm putting posts up, I'm sharing my blog post, I'm writing things, I'm putting things on there of value to people. Again, it's that jab, 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 right hook idea where you are, you know, repurposing. So the thing about the content is like, you want it to feel a bit different on each channel, but if you're going to go through the trouble of writing a killer blog post, take an an excerpt. Wow. I can't talk today either. Take a little snippet (laughs) and put that on LinkedIn and then put a different one on Facebook. There's so many ways when you make content to use it well on different channels and you can tweak things for that audience too. Um, So we've talked pretty in depth about um, Instagram, Facebook, and now LinkedIn. Um, And I want to dive into these last three uh, Pinterest, House, and YouTube. Um, admittedly, we'll talk a little bit more high level about these three. Um, they're worth discussing a bit, but um, we use these less um, as we use these less often, or not as much, perhaps as the as the first three. Um, but certainly, it can be a very viable source um, of. Um, what am I trying to say? Like being seen. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're still good to have in your back pocket. They're good to potentially be involved with, but they might not be where you want to focus the bulk of your energy. Except for Pinterest, we will touch on the fact that if you are primarily e-design, that might be somewhere that you want to um, put more effort in. I agree. As far as I know, now I've never done any paid um, promotions on Pinterest, Um but you're really targeting a pretty global audience with Pinterest. And so for that reason, I think it's um, a great way to spend your time if you are targeting a more national audience. Um, 
if you're like if you're a designer and you have an Etsy shop and you're selling things there or you're selling any sort of remote service, Pinterest um, should be a big part of your social media strategy. Um, but for targeting a local audience, I would argue, and perhaps somebody more knowledgeable in this could uh, correct me, but I, I feel like it's um, there are other avenues that would be more beneficial for you to spend your time. Um, so lead magnets are a great thing to promote on Pinterest. Um, quizzes or freebies. Um, let Leslie, have you promoted some of your stuff on Pinterest? I have, and I will disclaimer this by saying I tried to figure it out on my own. I did not pay a professional grown-up marketer to do this, and I didn't have great results. But again, I don't focus primarily on e-design. I was maybe barking up the wrong tree. But I have um, a couple of different lead magnets on my website. And if you're not familiar with that term, a lead magnet or an opt-in is just something you have on your website that you give away for free of value in exchange for an email address so that you can market to people on your email list. So I have a true style quiz and then I also have a budget planner freebie and I've put together fancy schmancy graphics and I pin them to my Pinterest boards with a link back. And then I've also tried paid promotion, but I didn't get much conversion or I guess like my ideal, my ideal audience was just not the people that these ads were going to. Right. Here's what I would say about Pinterest is that your Pinterest profile should look beautiful and should be well organized. Um, And again, that is primarily for social proof. Um, And I think it also demonstrates what are your, what's your, um, it reinforces maybe if you have a particular look or particular style, you know, I tend to think um, that my personal style is um, heavy on color, but it's also very classic. Uh, it's, It's got a Southern bent to it. And, um, for that reason, I think if you go to my Pinterest page, you'll see a lot of images that reflect that particular style. Um, and so for that reason, if a potential client is already interested in you, they may click on your Pinterest Pinterest profile to see, um, use you, use your boards as inspiration and making sure that you align that way. So I still think that it's important to have it looking good and and well organized and um, make sure that your first, you know, two rows of boards are relevant to interior design. I would suggest that those first two boards be things like kitchens, bedrooms, kids spaces, offices, whatever, and make sure that the pens that are in there are not a bunch of DIY projects that... Um, you've got really elegant, gorgeous, high-end imagery in there. And save your cooking and travel and projects for kids and all of those sort of things that we all keep on Pinterest um, further down your list of boards. Um, you want them to really understand that, um, that this is a tool that you use as a professional interior designer. Yeah. And one thing that I did was I made cover cover photos for each of my boards. That way, everything is really uniform looking on my Pinterest page with beautiful graphics. You can check out my Pinterest page. Uh, the link is on my website, lesliemeyer.com, if you want to see what I mean. And honestly, for me, I have the pretty side of Pinterest there, and I use it occasionally. The way I really use it is, for me, it's actually a collaboration tool for working on projects. I make secret boards for long-distance clients. And that way I can invite them. It's not public. So, you know, we kind of pin the the process and it's not always super pretty, but it's a great way of saying, hey, client, here's a link to the secret Pinterest board I've invited you to. Here's a few things I'm thinking of. And now, depending on how you work and what you do, that might not be necessary. For me, I found it to be a great way to do it. I know, Kate, you probably just do that in Gather or something similar, but for kind of like that initial throwing some ideas together. I really like Pinterest and I use it as a real tool for my projects behind the scenes. Right. I don't necessarily collaborate with clients on them, but I will ask them to send me their Pinterest boards if they have them. And I use it to create my own private boards for particular clients where I save images that I will most likely add to their concept design package um, as a way to filter. But at the moment, I don't collaborate. Yeah. Same for me. I don't have cover boards necessarily, but I have, or sorry, cover images, but I have my best images first. I use the same 
titles for my for for each type of board. So for example, all of my room, all my spaces boards are grouped together. So it'll say like, and I use like backsplash backsplash. I can't. God, you and I and talking today is backslashes. Yeah, <laughs> backsplashes yeah. are another designer tool in our arsenal, but not for um, Pinterest. You know, to separate, and then we've got um, all of the primary room types that we focus on, and then. Below that, we'll have things like, you know, beautiful chairs, beautiful lighting boards, beautiful linens and those sort of things grouped together. So yeah. in that sense, it's a really well organized. And I make sure that that cover image is one of my favorites from that board. Um, and Love it. very occasionally I'll go in and I'll scrub it and get rid of stuff that I'm like, oh, I don't want anybody thinking that that's something that I, you know, would be attracted to, but not very often. So I do that more, yeah. but not not these days. Well, let's move into YouTube, and I'm going to let you take it from here because I think you've got more experience here than I do. Yeah, well, YouTube is something that I have been slowly developing and working on for a long time. Part of it is because I would love to be doing TV or hosting or something, and that capacity is part of my business one day. So this is strategic. I don't necessarily think YouTube is for everybody. There are great ways to reach potential clients, but for me... Um, I find most people, most potential clients on YouTube are more DIYers and people looking for tutorials and ideas. And that's not bad if that's part of your business model. I am not. I want full service clients and larger projects, but YouTube isn't great for me as someone who is interested potentially in, in TV or working in the entertainment side of design one day. So I have been slowly building up my YouTube channel. I used to block off time to record and edit and put up these sort of more polished, finished videos. But now that I'm doing the weekly Facebook Live, like we mentioned earlier, I just upload my Bust Out of Boring show every week. So there's always new content going up. Actually, I have my um, virtual assistant, Samantha, take care of that, which is just one last thing on my plate, which is awesome. And yeah, it's just a way to get new content, to have another way for people to experience you. Even if you don't want to do TV or media, I think it's still a great way to potentially market to other people and reuse content you've already spent the time and energy creating. So I'm a fan of it. And I'll be honest, as someone who is interested in doing TV, I have gotten a couple of potential, I don't have anything yet, but I've gotten a couple really great opportunities coming my way because I have that YouTube channel as either proof to show people me on camera and what I can do. But also you guys recently, I had somebody from a major production company reach out to me and the show has been on hold. So I haven't gotten to audition, but I had an audition slated for a pretty fantastic potential show that I was really excited about. Still could happen. All that to say, you never know what people are seeing. And if media is something you want to explore, I think YouTube is a great channel. I don't know how good it is for reaching high-end full-service clients, but I really haven't, you know, gone down that path too far either. Kate, I, do you do anything on YouTube? Uh, not anymore. I used to, um, but it's hard to be consistent with because it takes a lot of work. So I would agree that um, it's a great um, opportunity if you do have any interest in pursuing something on a larger platform. Um, some of the, some of my favorite people, I do, I watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> I am a millennial after all. Um, I love, and I think that you could do this for your own projects, but I would say that there is a good amount of production that goes into this. So there is a cost to that. Um, yes. but if you want it to look good and I think that it should look good if you are, going to go through the trouble of shooting one. But a couple of people that I love to watch on YouTube, which there's probably no surprise. I'm sure most of you guys listening have watched these at some point. But um, Shay McGee, who I also know is having has a new show coming out. Um, they have a really great channel and they do a combination of um, showing off projects that they've done to tutorials and like how to arrange flowers or how to style a kitchen those sort of things. So their content is top notch. Um, obviously, Emily Henderson has a large library of videos there. That's that's her jam. House and Home Magazine, theirs, their station channel is one of my favorites. 
um, and Architectural Digest because I am a voyeur and I like to see the insides of pe- famous people's homes. So Love it. Um, those are four um, really great channels that I follow and watch and are great inspiration if that's something that you want to pursue. Yeah. You made a good point about production is I think you either need to put stuff out that is like really well edited, high quality production or go with a more raw, authentic you know, you and the camera, you and your phone, but be consistent and know which one you're going for. And don't try to put something out that looks mega professional if that's not in your wheelhouse. I think it's one of those sort of, ah, you have to be careful that you don't want things to go out there that don't look finished or professional. But there's also something appealing to people about the behind the scenes and the the connection that you get with people in videos. Well, see, and that's where I would argue that I think places like Facebook and Instagram live would be the best place to do more of those um, amateur video hour <laughs> and your <laughs> video hour. I love it. <laughs> and, and if you're going to go through the trouble of recording and publishing something to YouTube, um, it's, it needs to look pretty professional because I think otherwise you're going to be targeting, you know, being attracting DIYers. Yeah, that's a good point. I, that's just my sort of gut reaction to that um, yeah. thought. But what do I know? <laughs> no, you, you know a lot. And honestly, guys, if I had the the budget and the time to do exactly. higher quality produced videos, I would. But I don't. So I'm I'm going with the action over perfection mantra here. And I'm putting things out there. And we'll tweak as we go. Yeah. Oh, Mary Elizabeth is another favorite of mine. I don't know if anybody else follow. Do you follow her? No, I'm I literally all these things you're saying. I'm like, I never go to YouTube. Like, I don't, oh I know who gosh. these people are. I, I don't watch, yeah, I don't watch that stuff. I do. I love watching it. Um, so Mary Elizabeth is super cute. She does all sorts of things. Um, she does shopping and styling videos and thrift hauls and those sort of things. But she also, she keeps moving around to these cute little homes and then she fixes them up really cute. And then she also does them for friends and other YouTubers. She's definitely like, a YouTuber, a professional. And so that is in and of itself an entirely different business model than interior design. But yeah. from a from a content inspiration standpoint, um, she's adorable and I totally want to be her friend. So shout out to Mary Elizabeth. <laughs> you made such a good point there. She's adorable and I want to be her friend. This is why you do video and this is why people put out video content because it builds that no like, and trust. Yeah. There's something so different. I about feel like she's a friend. <laughs> yeah, she's your pal Mary Elizabeth on YouTube. It is such a good way to build connection quickly with people. So there is advantage to doing videos. Just start, start with the live, start with the the safer stuff. And if you want to build up a YouTube channel, great. But do your practicing, like Kate was saying, on a more amateur friendly channel, which I think is great, great advice. <laughs> All right. We've, we've been talking for a long time today, but this is such a good topic. Let's bring it home. And I think this is going to be a quick one. Let's bring it home and talk about hows, which... Um, Oh yeah, we forgot about that one. Is it is it this will be quick because I think this is this is a hot button issue, but we're not gonna go into the um ins and outs of that. But um house is a place where you can have a designer profile. It's where homeowners go to find inspiration for their projects, where they can find and hire professionals. And over the last couple of years, houses really amped up their marketing towards interior designers to get them to do paid um, profiles so that your profile shows up higher in the rankings um, when somebody's looking for a local professional. And I I did house promotions for a while. Um, and I think the biggest feedback from most interior designers is that it lacked a quality of clientele. So I got a lot of calls, um, but 99% of them were clients that just weren't a good fit. And so that was my personal experience. I've heard the same thing from a lot of other designers. I would say that is not the case 100% of the time. So if it's something you're considering, by all means, talk to some other people, make the decision for yourself. Uh, but that was the main thing. And then I um, I know that there's been a lot of pushback on them for getting designers like me to, I, I was pressure, almost pressured to upload photos to my projects. That was like, they were super on me about that. Like, what projects do you have? 
we need projects, we need projects, we need photos, we need photos. And it's a way for them to build their catalog and their library. But I didn't get any clients out of it. Um, but then they would go on to tag designers' photos if they found, like, let's say, a pretty picture in a kitchen has a bar stool. They would find a bar stool that looks kind of similar, not necessarily the exact one. And they would be like, you know, there'd shop be this photo. Shop this photo. And then they would show, you know, a $99 stool that sort of kind of looks like it, but doesn't really. And so from that standpoint, it doesn't really encourage homeowners to hire potential designers. It makes them feel like they can do it on their own. They don't have permission to tag our photos. They're tagging them incorrectly. And um, so for that reason, it doesn't feel very designer friendly. And that's my uh, op-ed on that topic. (laughs) You mentioned they don't have permission, but I, I don't know the ins and outs. I have not read this through myself, but I would caution designers if you are thinking about uploading photos there read their terms of service, read what you're signing up for. Yeah, I probably did give them permission at some point. Well, that's what I I mean. My general understanding, and again, this is disclaimer, I have not looked at it in detail. My general understanding is that when you upload a photo to House, they are basically saying we own it and we can do whatever we want with it. You're right. For that reason, I have removed all my photos from House, which is really hard to do. I don't even think they're all gone. I think they just don't show up on my profile, but House gets to keep them forever and always. But I'm choosing not to be active on house or put projects on house. I have a pro profile and it has some reviews on it, but on my profile, it just says go to my website. So I, again, I want, I want all my names, all my business claimed on things, but it doesn't mean that I have to engage and play by their rules. So I've chosen definitely not to pay for house and really not to use it much. That being said, I have heard, but it does seem like the small minority, some people do have great results from house and paying for it but yeah, not I, me kids no me. i've 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 heard the same thing and and so for that reason i would say do your own homework and make make the decision that feels right for you um, it is where i found you though that's where i was searching for waco interior designers and i was trying to see if i came up and you came up first and i was like through house though i thought chick? that was google no it was on house oh i don't <laughs> i think i might have still been part of their like paid professionals at that, at that point. Um, yeah. The other thing for me that was tricky was I was really adamant about wanting clients to contact me through my website so that I could gather that information. I want them to fill out the form. I want them to schedule a call with me. I don't want cold calls. I'm sorry. I'm picking up my daughter. I'm in line at the grocery store. I, um, I don't, I just didn't want cold calls. I wanted to be sitting in a quiet office and have my notepad out and be in the headspace of getting ready to sit down and talk to a potential client. And that wasn't really an option for them. They could fill out a form and then I would get this form in my inbox and then I would, it would be up to me to contact them. Um, so that was one way they could contact me. Well, and contact them through house. I know, I don't think they provided the email address. Correct. And that's not that. It was so a, you, you were, yeah, you weren't able to build your email list or have their direct contact info. Yeah, and then my all that to say, my yeah, ca- then my account, then my account manager was like, "Well, you got three calls last week. If you followed up with them, what's happened with wanting to like sort of understand the d- did those projects turn out to be anything?" And I'm like, "Nope, <laughs> that was a sales call. That was a tile company. That was somebody else trying to sell me something." So I got a lot of those calls as well. So anyway, yeah. I don't want to totally bash them because they're they've not. It it has been successful for some designers. It was not a great experience for me personally. Yeah, I would say don't put all your eggs in the house basket. There are other ways that you can have better content that's going to reach <laughs> your ideal people. Did you like my my bad like dad joke there? Uh, dad joke. I, I was drinking coffee and almost spit it out. That was funny. Hashtag dad joke. All right. all right, girlfriend. Let's let's send these people on their merry way. We've given you guys such a ton of information today. I hope it was useful. But basically what we want you to remember and know about online marketing is that, yeah, it's powerful and you need to be doing it. And if it's overwhelming for you, you can always hire a social media manager to outsource it, but make sure that your voice is coming through whichever way you choose to handle your social content creation. Absolutely. Um, You have to have a strategy, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, Look for a scheduling tool that's simple and easy to use. Um, and don't feel like you have to 
be a strong presence in every single one that can be overwhelming for anyone. Um, so find the ones that work best for you and do them well. Absolutely. And yeah, that boom, I was just going to repeat that because it's so good. (laughs) What we want you to also do guys, go get your social channels set up and running, tag us on social and let us know what you're doing. We would love to see who you are, what kind of content you're putting out. You can DM us on Instagram. And if you haven't already gotten your free mini business toolkit, you can grab yours at designersgettingcoffee.com. And in that awesome download, you're going to find an install day box checklist, a handy reference guide with typical design project hours, a list of our favorite design and business tools and more. Go over to designersgettingcoffee.com and grab yours. It's awesome. Any final words, KB? No, don't forget, we mentioned a lot of resources today, so our show notes will be packed with all of those links um, on the website at designersgettingcoffee.com as well. Have a great weekend, guys. Bye. Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We love to hear your feedback. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.